Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Open your Bibles with me to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. So as you're turning there, I want you to kind of frame your mind in this direction as we get going into the text this morning. And here's the question that I have for you. Have you ever felt far from God? Have you ever felt far from God? I know that in your Christian journey, like there's different seasons. um, and, And so there may be a time and maybe you're there right now this morning where you're like, no, I've never been closer to the Lord. Like right now is as close as I've ever been. When I wake up in the mornings, it's like we're having breakfast together. It's like we're talking on a walkie talkie in my times of prayer. Like I am close with the Lord right now. But then there may be seasons and maybe you're in one right now where it's like, no, it feels distant. You know, like I look up and I'm like, God, I don't even know where you are right now. So last Sunday um, after church, I took my two boys, Ames, he's four, and Dax, he's seven, took them to go to a baseball tournament and watch some of their friends from church playing in the tournament. And uh, we walk into uh, the ball fields and it's just crazy packed. People are everywhere. And, and so I tell my boys like, hey, stay close. Don't, don't wander off, stay close. Um, that's, that's how I like to do things. I, when I'm in public, I like to keep my kids close. People parent differently, you know? Some parents, they walk into a public place and they're like, best of luck, kid, you know? Like, we'll see if we can link up in a couple hours uh, magically, but not me. I like to keep them close. I've seen too many datelines, you know? So I like to keep my kids close. So anyway, I tell them like, hey, stay here, stay, stay close to me. We're gonna find a seat and we're kind of standing there. The ball game has just started and so we're kind of watching, but I'm scanning to find a seat and I look over and I see some seats over this way. I say, all right, boys, let's go. Come on, we're gonna go find uh, these seats over here in the shade. So we go, we weave through all the people, finally get over there. I sit down, Ames sits down and Dax isn't there. And um, he's nowhere to be found. So I start looking. And I look back through the crowd and everywhere that we just uh, went, and uh, he's still just standing right where we were standing. Uh, I'm not even sure that he knew that we were gone, honestly. Like, he's seven, and so he just has a permanent, confused look on his face all the time. He's at that age, and so he's just standing there watching the game. So I get up, and I go back over there, and I, I got him and bring him over, and we sit down, Right. So he wasn't necessarily, I mean, what he did is he just, he got distracted. He took his eyes off of me and before you know it, there's, there's distance. Maybe you've experienced that in your Christian walk. Maybe you did, maybe you walked away from the Lord. Maybe you got into some things that, um, that kind of were sinful and, and you know, and took you away from the Lord. Or maybe you just took your eyes off of him. You, you took your distraction and, and you placed it somewhere else. And before you know it, there's distance. So our text this morning is going to address that. Jeremiah chapter 2. If you're with us, last week we started a series on Jeremiah chapter 1. And uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 is the calling of the prophet Jeremiah. And, and if you remember, we talked about how God is going to call him into doing some difficult things. That he's going to be the, the, the prophet who speaks into and speaks against the people of God. And how they've turned away from him. He's talking to the people 
of God. And in chapter two, it begins. God tells him to go to the people of Jerusalem and speak against them and tell them everything that that has gone wrong in this relationship covenant that they have with the Lord. And he starts chapter two by saying, God says, I remember the loyalty of your youth. Verse two, like I, I remember, God says, I remember the loyalty of your youth and how you followed me in the wilderness. Like there used to be closeness there. But then something happened and you turned to idols and you turned to all these different things. Uh, Verse five and verse eight talks about it. And you turned away from this. And then verse 12 says, be appalled at this. Like be shocked. So we're supposed to read this, right? As readers, we're supposed to read this and go, what they've done is shocking. It doesn't make any sense. Like logically doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I think as we see, as we walk through this text, we'll go, yeah, it doesn't make logical sense, but I've been there. I've done it too. So that's what we're gonna look at, all right? Before we jump into it, before we read our text, I'd like for us to pray. And I'm gonna pray for all of us. And as I pray, just pray for yourself and simply ask God, God, would you speak to me in this moment? Let's all pray together. God, we wanna pause and we wanna ask that you would do what only you can do. And that's speak to our hearts. We need a word bigger than mine. We don't need to hear my voice. We need to hear from you this morning. And so God, would you speak and would you help us to listen? Would you help us to see out of this ancient text how it applies to our day right here, right now? Would you help us to follow you? We're we're listening and we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, Jeremiah chapter two. We're gonna look at just one verse, verse 13. Look at that with me. Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13. God says this, for my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. All right, so again, he's making a case, he's laying out, it's almost like a court case, and here's the accusation, here's Say, I'm going to read again to you, verse 13. For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. So it, as we walk through this text, if you're a note taker, we're just really, we're just going to walk through uh, this passage together. You see two charges that he makes against the people. Number one, the first charge is they turned away from God. They turned away from God. He says, they have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. Do you see what he just called himself? The fountain of living water. That's interesting, right? We don't use that that kind of language, living water. Well, what you need to know as we get going here that in the Bible, uh, there's kind of two understandings whenever it comes to water. There's living water and there's dead water. So living water, living water is, uh, think of a spring. All right, a natural spring coming out of, out of the ground. It's, it's fresh and it's pure and it's cool and it's refreshing and it satisfies, right? Growing up, I was, you went to this church camp in Oklahoma called Falls Creek. And one of my favorite things to do every summer is a group of friends, we would hike to this area of Falls Creek called the Devil's Bathtub, which I know is like, that sounds not church camp. Um, they've since renamed it to be politically correct, I think. But uh, so it was called the Devil's Bathtub, but it had this natural spring of water. And in Oklahoma, the summers are, are brutally hot, just like they are here 
in Arkansas. And so we would get a group of friends and we would hike out to this spot to go to this natural spring of water. And you're hiking and it's hot and it's brutal and it's miserable, but then you finally get there. And me and my buddies, we would just set at this spring, this water just coming out of the ground and out of the rocks, it's, it's purified, it's, it's great to drink. And so we would just kind of sit around in the shade, there's mist coming up from the, from the spring and we would just fill up water bottles and just sit there for what felt like hours, right? Just refreshing. That's the picture that God's given for himself. That's what he's trying to get you in your mind to think. That he's just this natural, cool, refreshing spring of pure, pure water. He's the source of life. He's the source of true satisfaction. And then beyond that, he goes on in Jeremiah 17 to kind of expand on this analogy of himself of being the living water. And he, he tells us how we are to relate to the living water. And he says in Jeremiah 17, verse seven, he paints this picture of a tree just being planted next to this stream of cool, fresh water. He says, the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by the water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. You see it? That's, that's what's offered to us. That he is the fresh living water and the offer for us is just to plant our roots down deep into him. The, the true source of satisfaction, the true source of all that you need, the source of, of life. And even if drought comes and even if heat comes, like you're still gonna produce fruit. That's what's offered. That's who he is. But it says that they abandoned him. They abandoned that source of, of water. So get the picture, it's like if you were sitting at a natural spring or maybe you're camping there or something like that and, and you have everything that you need, but you just decide, eh, I'm gonna leave this. It's like, why would you do that? That, make, that makes no sense whatsoever. Why would they leave God? And maybe you're going, how does that even happen? Well, we're told in verse six, here's what led to them just getting up and leaving the source of living water says that they stopped seeking and they stopped remembering. Look at verse six. They stopped asking, where is the Lord who brought us from the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through, the, through a land of deserts and ravines, through a land of drought and darkness. They just stopped asking, where is the Lord? They stopped seeking after him. They stopped caring to meet with him. And before you know it, they had gotten up and they had walked away. That's, that's the picture. And so for us, I just want to just point out just the importance of just your personal devotion time. And, and I know that as you hear that, you're like, ah, this, this sounds kind of legalistic, like check in a box. I just got to sit down and read my Bible and pray. No, listen, what you're doing in that moment, you need to understand that a commitment to the time in the word and prayer is a commitment to seek God. Like in that moment, you're not seeking to get anything from yourself. You're literally there to get, to, to, to seek after him. And sometimes as you open up your Bible, like every single word just seems to jump off the page and just, just refresh your soul. And other times your Bible reading plan is like in Leviticus or something. And, and you're reading about like, I'm not supposed to eat owls out of Leviticus 11. You know, it's like, what, what does that even mean? 
And, and so whenever you come to this, understand it's about seeking him. It's about chasing hard after him and saying, God, show me what you're like. Show me what you love. Show me what you hate. Help me to see if I don't measure up in some kind of areas. I'm seeking hard after you. See, they stopped seeking God and they stopped remembering. They stopped remembering everything that God had, had done for them. Verse six clearly talks about, they stopped remembering the fact that he had already led them through a desert and gave them water in the desert. It's, it's Exodus chapter 15. If you remember whenever the Israelites are freed from Egyptian slavery and God is leading them through the wilderness in Exodus 15, he provides all of these springs of water so that they can have the things that they need. Not only that, one time in Exodus chapter 17, God provides water out of a rock. Like this is who God is. This is the, this is the things that he has done for his, his people. And now in Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13, they just stopped remembering. They just stopped remembering all that God had done for them and they turn away from God. They stopped seeking, they stopped remembering, and it wasn't long before there was distance. And I, I need you to see here too, look, at, look back at that first, first line there or in, in, in verse 13, it says, they have abandoned me. And so it's just an important note for us that they left God. God didn't leave. They got up, they left. And so if you feel far from God, you need to know that it wasn't him who left. You got up and wandered away. If you stop seeking God, if you stop remembering what he's done for you, I promise you it won't be long and you'll look up and they'll, you'll be far from him. There'll be distance. So that was the first charge that they, they turned away from God. And then the second charge is just the natural response to it. They turned toward other things. They turned from God and they turned toward other things. This is what you might call idolatry, just placing anything above God, which we do see in verses five and eight, that they, they turned to worthless idols. It's mentioned a couple of times. Verse 13 says, they dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can't even hold water. What's a cistern? Well, you need to understand that, that in this day they would, they would dig these uh, giant pits called cisterns to catch rainwater. Rain was uh, scarce, doesn't rain a lot in Israel. And so they had to figure out ways to try and catch and store rainwater so that they could have water to drink. It, it was a common thing that happened throughout the Old Testament. And what they would do is they would dig these huge pits into the rocky ground there in Israel. I don't know if you've ever dug a hole or not, but it's a lot of work, isn't it? And like whenever you set out to start, you think this is, kinda, this is gonna be fun. I'm gonna dig this thing. And then about three shovels in, you're like, I'm done digging this hole. I'd never wanna dig again, you know? And, and that's what they're doing here. They're trying to dig into this, this rock and then they gotta climb down into it and plaster the walls to try and get it to where it'll actually hold some water. They found cisterns in, in Israel that are as large as Olympic-sized swimming pools. Can you imagine digging that uh, with no like big equipment? It's just a picture of just wearing themselves out, digging these cisterns that don't even hold water. So there's a couple of problems with cisterns. Uh, the first problem is they hold dead water. 
I told you, there's two understandings of water. There's living water and there's dead water. Well, cisterns hold dead water, which dead water just means it's still, it's, it's not moving. We've all seen or, or can think of what happens when water becomes stagnant, can't you? It gets gross, it gets nasty. Things start to grow in there, bacteria and all kinds of stuff that you don't wanna be drinking, you know? And there's mud, there's bugs, there's, you know, if you're thinking of rainwater washing into a cistern, then dead animals and whatever else animals do is all washing into these cisterns. And so they're nasty. You don't want to drink that. But then not only that, not only do they hold nasty water, they can't even keep the nasty water contained. They leak. They're cracked. They can't hold water. And so it's just this picture that God is painting for us that it's just useless, it's meaningless, it's a major disappointment. So, so get the picture clearly in your mind. God is saying, I am the natural, refreshing, life-giving spring of water, but you would rather wander off into the desert, work yourself silly building man-made holes that at best hold dirty, stagnant water. Like, it's easy to see. That doesn't make sense, does it? Like, logically, who would do that? Why would you do that? And that's what verse 12 is saying again. Be astonished at this. Like, be shocked. That's a bad trade to go from living fresh water to dead cistern water. Nobody's going to make that trade. But if we're honest, like, we do that all the time, don't we? We make that trade all the time the time. Again, this is the idea of idolatry. I think, I think one of the thesis verses for the Old Testament is Hosea 11.7. And Hosea 11.7 just says, my people are bent on turning away from me. Just natural, the thing that we're best at, the thing that comes most naturally to us is just to turn away from God. We're just bent on turning away from him. And so we'll turn to all kinds of man-made broken cisterns because we have this deep longing in our soul for water. And so we'll go looking for it in all the wrong places, of broken cisterns of, of, of people or relationships that'll fill that void that's in our hearts. The, the broken cistern of, of our jobs or chasing some kind of status or accomplishments. Broken cisterns of just hobbies just living for the weekend, just to numb whatever it is that's going on in my world. I wanna to get to the weekend and not think about it. Another broken cistern I think that we run to is, is our kids, our kids' sports and our kids' activities. What ends up happening is we turn away from God and we turn toward all these other things to fill that deep thirst that's in our soul, but it all comes up short. Like it's broken, it can't hold water. That's the thing about like a broken pot or a broken vessel, it'll hold some water for, for a season, won't it? But, it, but it's, it's not real. It's false satisfaction, it's momentary, it, it, it's gone. So sure, that thing that you're running to, that thing that you're placing your, your trust in, that thing that you're looking for to fill the deep longing of satisfaction in your heart, sure, it may hold some water for a time, but it's momentary. So don't be fooled by it. It will dry up 100% of the time. And so if you're walking away from the living water, it's not that whatever that thing is that you're walking to is so strong or your desires or your passion for it are so strong that you just can't say no to it. It's not that your desires and your passions are too strong. In fact, I would say they're too weak. 
You're turning to lesser things. You need to understand that. You're turning to dirty cistern water. C.S. Lewis says it, says it this way. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an, inf- like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. And then what he says next is so piercing. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. Do you catch what he's saying? He says, if, if we're chasing the things of this world and we think having the right job or the right amount of money or the right house or the right car or the right relationship is gonna fill that satisfaction, then C.S. Lewis is telling us our desires are so weak We're like a little child that's playing in the dirt of a slum instead of going on the beach vacation that God is offering us. So if you're struggling with greed or money or lust, ambition, pride, if you're seeking satisfaction in things, then I wanna say to you, your desires are too weak. Like your desires are, are too weak. You're settling for dirty, stagnant cistern water that's going to dry up. It's gonna dry up. A couple days ago, I was out mowing the grass and uh, it, it's hot, you know, like it, it's brutally hot and I'm out there, I'm just like, man, I'm just dying. I wish I had some water. Whenever I finished mowing the yard, I, I found that my daughter had brought out a cup of ice water and she put it on the sidewalk. And I think she did it like as soon as I started mowing. So by the time I found it, it wasn't super nice looking. Like the ice had all melted. It's full of dirt and grass clippings and all kinds of stuff, you know, it's just gross. But I'm thirsty, so I just pick it up and I chug it. Not really, not really. I wouldn't do that. You're looking at me like, why would you do that? No, I I looked over and I saw the water hose. Is there anything better in the summer than drinking straight out of the water hose? You know what I mean? It's just fresh, it's never ending, it's cold. And so I I had a choice to make. I could drink this nasty cup of grass water or I could go to the water hose and drink from that. It's it's a choice. It's an obvious choice, but it's a choice, right? And and so maybe you're sitting there, you're like, got it, got it. God is the living spring water and that's much better than dirty stagnant water. Got it. But maybe you're asking, but how do I choose to stay close to the living water? Like, what does that look like? How do I actually stay close to this living water? How do I be like this tree that's planted deep into the living water? How do I keep from wandering away and going to all these other broken man-made cisterns? Here's what I would say. It's not a mysterious concept. It's a conscious choice. It's a conscious choice to just stay close to the living water. To say, no, I'm not gonna let all these other things distract me. I'm not gonna get uh, my eyes going to the left or to the right. I'm going to commit myself to the things of God. So very, very practically, this is what it looks like for you tomorrow. Every single day, you just develop rhythms in your life that keep you close to the living water. Every day. Every day, I'm gonna intentionally seek after God. Every day, I'm gonna continually remember the ways that he's worked in my life and all the ways that he's been so good to me. 
Every day I'm going I'm to spend time in his word. Every day I'm going to spend time communicating with him in relationship. I'm going to build that relationship with him. Why? Because I'm going to stay close to the living water. It's a conscious choice. Very practically. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set aside and I'm going to say, you know what? Sundays and Wednesdays, those are the Lord's days. Those are church days and I'm going to be there. Like it better be some, some kind of medical emergency. Otherwise, I'm there, you know? I'm choosing. I'm committing. God, God gave us the church as a good gift. Do you realize that? He gave us the church, the body of believers, to come and worship with, grow with, spur one another on. It's like Paul says in Ephesians 4, I beg you, brothers, I urge you, live a life worthy of your calling. That's what we do every Sunday, every Wednesday, whenever we get together, we're saying, come on, we can do it. Stay close to the living water. Stay planted. Don't go wandering over here. Don't go doing that thing. Nothing else is more important. But we, do, we let all kinds of stuff sidetrack us. Honestly, statistics show us that, that very marginal church attendance is now the norm. Like we just... It's like we've just decided, if I don't have anything better to do, then yeah, I'll be there. Like two times a month is considered like super serious church attendance. That's crazy, right? What are we doing? What are we doing with that? And I'm not just talking about second, I'm talking about the church. This is what statistics are telling us. One of the biggest things that we deal with uh, in in our culture where we live specifically um, is, is, is people's schedules being highly influenced by their kids' schedules, particularly ball, playing ball, traveling, doing tournaments, practices all the time. And listen, you're not going to find anybody in this room who loves sports more than me. I promise you that. Grew up playing sports. I love sports. But I'm just telling you, we're allowing that thing to become an empty cistern in our life. We're allowing that thing, kids' ball schedules, to come in between us and the living water. What if we just said, no, you know what? <laughs> Wednesday nights, my kid, my student is going to be in student, student ministry. Like They're not missing for volleyball practice. When it comes to church camp, they're signing up. They're going to church camp. They're not going to basketball lifting or something crazy like that. That makes no sense. Why would we do that? Parents, what kind of things are we teaching our kids? Like, I'm obviously on a soapbox right now. This is, this is something that it's like I'm very passionate about. Like, no, we're not going to miss church for, for a ball tournament. We're just not going to do that. And what I hear all the time is, well, that's when the tournaments are. They schedule tournaments on Sundays. Here's an idea. What if the Christians just said no? You know? Like, hopefully, like, no. No, we're going to be in church. We're going we're gonna to do that that thing, we're committed to it. We're setting it aside, like we're making a commitment. What if we just did that? I think the ball tournament places would have to rearrange to us. Something else I hear all the time. Well, little eight-year-old Johnny, if he doesn't play in this tournament every weekend, well, he's never gonna play high school ball or go college or go to the pros or something like that. And here's what I would say. Um, I grew up playing sports. I, I played against um, guys who would be D1 athletes, guys who even played in the pros, both basketball and football. If little Johnny has the, the correct DNA, 
that tournament at eight years old is not gonna matter, you know? So what are we doing? What are we teaching our kids to turn to all these broken cisterns? Like Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased. If you look up and you are distant from God, you walked away. You walked away. You made a choice and you chose something else. But if you'll just say, no, I'm protecting this space. I'm prioritizing it. Every day I'm gonna seek after God. I'm gonna remember his goodness in my life. I'm gonna set up these parameters and these boundaries in my life and I'm gonna commit to them. I promise you if you do that, it'll be much harder to look up and go, there's distance between me and the Lord. Call that legalism if you want. I just, I just call it smart Christian living, All right? Just as a body was made to live on water, your soul was made to live on God. You need to know that. Your soul was made to live on, on God. You have this natural craving in your soul for God. And when you turn away from him and you turn to all kinds of other things to fill and satisfy that thirst that only God can provide, you're chasing broken cisterns. He is the living water. Only in him will you find what you're looking for. So there's a story in, in John chapter four that sounds a lot like this ancient text from Jeremiah. In John chapter four, Jesus is, is walking, it says. It's about noon, so you know that it's hot outside. And he intentionally goes to this area called Samaria, which Jewish men don't like to go there. Jesus intentionally goes to Samaria. It's hot, says he's tired and he's thirsty. So he sits down by this well. And as he's sitting there, this woman comes up. She's a Samaritan woman. You probably know this story, right? The Samaritan woman and Jesus at the well. And it's a very interesting scene. Like Jesus is gonna have this conversation with the Samaritan woman, which doesn't typically happen. Jewish men don't talk to Samaritan women. Even she's shocked by it in the story. But what Jesus is gonna do is he's gonna use this same metaphor. Water and a well of, of water to show her her deep need for him. See, we don't know a lot about her. We know that she's Samaritan. We know that uh, she comes to this well at noon, which is not typical. Like most Samaritan women would have come together in a group of five or six early in the morning before the heat of the day to get their water. And so it's like, she's lonely. She's, she, she seems to maybe be hiding from society a little bit. And you're like, why is she doing that? And then you learn in the story that Jesus says, it's because she's had five husbands and she's living with a sixth guy who's not even her husband. And so there's shame and we don't know why, like <laughs> we don't know why her story is the way that it is. Maybe she's an adulterous woman. Maybe she just bounces around from, from guy to guy or maybe she's a widow five times over. We're not really told. All that we know is things have gone wrong in her life. There's shame, there's brokenness, there's isolation, but she meets Jesus at this well. And Jesus begins to have a conversation with her. He says, hey, could you give me some water? She's like, why don't, why don't you get your own water? It's weird that you're talking to me. You're a Jewish man and I'm a Samaritan woman. And, and Jesus says, yeah, well, if you knew who I was and if you knew, if you understood the gift of God or the grace of God, well, you'd be asking me 
for living water. Right? That's what he says in John 4, verse 13. Jesus, Jesus says, everyone who drinks from this water, out of this well, they're gonna get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. So she's there to get her water for the day. And, and Jesus is gonna help her see that she has a deeper craving that only he can fill. He says, you need, you need living water. And she's like, that sounds great. Give me some of the living water so I don't have to keep coming back to this well every day. And I think you and I would go, great. She made a confession of faith. Like she, she decided she wanted the living water. Awesome. Like have her sign the card and let's baptize her and let's get her like servant and kid men. But that's not what Jesus does. That's not what he does at all. What he does next is he goes, cool, bring your husband. And it's like, man, as you're reading that, it's like the, the story just takes an awkward turn. It's like, Jesus, why, why do we gotta talk about our husbands here? Like, that's awkward. That's obviously a pain point for her. Why are you doing, why are you doing that? Why not just celebrate her asking for the living water? In this moment, he's showing her that she'll need to surrender everything else that she's been running to for satisfaction. She's gonna need to bring it to him because he is the only one that brings satisfaction. He's the one that she's actually been looking for and didn't even realize it. He's telling her, your soul has a craving and it'll never be filled by bouncing from relationship to relationship. You need living water. You need Jesus. And so maybe you're sitting there going, cool story. You know, good for her. But, but what about me? Like, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. And there's separation between me and God for a reason. I did some stuff. And I'm pretty sure he's not a fan of it. He can't, there's no way he could just look past the thing that I did. And I want you to know, he doesn't just look past it. He doesn't dismiss the Samaritan woman's sin. And he doesn't dismiss yours either. Instead, he pays for it. That's the good news. That's the good news that, that your sin separates you from a holy God. The payment, what you deserve for your sin is death. But Jesus Christ puts on skin and bone, God in the flesh, God with us to dwell with us, Emmanuel. And he comes to this earth on the greatest rescue mission the world has ever seen, to save you and me from our sin problem. He goes to a cross, they kill him, they sacrifice him, his blood is the atonement, is the sacrifice that our sin demands. They put him in a tomb because he's dead, like he's really dead. And they put him in the tomb and he's there for three days. But then he comes bursting out of the tomb alive proving that he's God, proving that he has power over sin and death forever. And what he does in that moment when he comes bursting forth alive is he offers you and me living water, living water. In John chapter seven, Jesus is, 
He's standing there outside of this ceremony thing that's happening in the temple where they're bringing water and they're dumping it on the rock. It's to remember and celebrate all that God did for them in the wilderness. And Jesus stands up and it seems random unless you know the context, Jesus just stands up and it says that he shouts loudly, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and let him drink. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And, and it says, says those who believe, the one who believes in me, as the scripture said, will have streams of living water bubbling up, flowing from deep within him. Do you see it? That's the offer. That's the, that's the offer to believe in him. Not just head knowledge. Like if you're with us in our John series, John uses believe all the time. And he's not just talking about believe like you believe in the North Pole or something like that. He's talking about believing with your whole life and your whole being. And what we see in the story with the Samaritan woman is that the key to this living water isn't simply just asking for it. It's not just praying a prayer or walking an aisle or something like that. It's not just asking for it. It's surrendering everything else and realizing he's the one you need. He's the only one that brings living water. And when you believe in him, scripture's clear, you don't just get like a little sip. You don't just get like a little taste that fades. <laughs> you get a, a fountain of it bubbling up in your soul, never ending. Even when you screw up, even when you walk away, even when you feel like I'm in a bad spot and it's scary and I wonder if he'd even want me back. You get a fountain just continually bubbling up in your soul. He's the living water that you desperately crave. He, he's it and you're invited to enjoy and drink from that fountain and you need to know that everything else will leave you dry and broken. And, and so how do we respond to this? How do we respond? Believer, do you feel far from God? Like go back to my initial question, do you feel far from God? If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you've placed your trust in him, I need you to know that going back to that man-made cistern is never gonna answer what you're looking for. You gotta stop. You gotta stop just going back to whatever that thing is that comes to your mind whenever I'm talking about this. You gotta stop going back to that thing, knowing like, yes, you're gonna screw up in this life. You're not gonna follow Jesus perfectly. And guess what? That's not surprising to him. The solution is not to turn away and find another man-made well. The solution is to turn around and return to the living water. Go back to the stream, go back to the one who can heal your soul. And some of you may be there today. You're like, yeah, there's some distance. There's, I feel far from the Lord. Why not return? Why not just return back to him? Return to the living water. This, in just a moment, you can use these steps to pray. You can pray in your seat. There's something about moving. There's something about coming forward and getting up and, and leaving it all at an altar. So if you wanna do that in just a moment, you just pray and repent and say, God, I'm returning to you. I'm leaving this broken cistern behind. I wanna give you the opportunity to do that. If you don't know Jesus, you're not a believer. I want you to know 
that the deepest craving of your soul will only be met in Jesus. And he's done everything necessary for you to know him. You can do that today. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.